Turn with me to Luke. Like I said, we're in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And what's beautiful about Luke, what I'm excited about going through Luke for, is because we just wrapped up going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is Old Testament. Ecclesiastes is before Jesus comes into the world. Ecclesiastes is, as we said during that series, trying to make sense of Genesis 1 and 2, creation, in a Genesis 3 world. After sin had entered, brokenness, rebellion, things started falling apart. And the preacher is looking around going, I know God is good, I know he's made all things and he cares for it, but some things about this world are just not right. In fact, many things are just not right. And what Luke gives us is that picture of Jesus coming in now, breaking into that world, that Genesis 3 world, to make all things right again. It gives us that hope looking forward to that. And so if you can, stand with me, please. We're going to read our first four verses here in Luke. And Luke, many years ago, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and with the mind God had given him, he wrote this. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to see, hear, receive your word, uh, that we would have understanding of your word by your spirit, that our hearts would be transformed by you. God, I pray that you would speak through me, that your spirit would open up my mouth to speak what is true of you and what is true of your world, but to close and guard my mouth anything else that may not be of you. God, we pray that you would use this to shape us, your people, for your glory, for your world. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So Luke is part one of really a, a two-volume work that Luke wrote. Uh, Luke wrote the book of Luke. Makes sense. It's named after him. He wrote it to a guy named Theophilus. We don't know much about him. We'll get to that in a second. And then he writes Acts. He says in Acts 1, he says, In my first book I wrote to you, O Theophilus. So it's to the same person. And he talks about the first book. I wrote to you all the things that Jesus started to do among us. Right? And so that's what this book, Luke, is about. In Acts, he starts talking about all the things that Jesus and his spirit starts to do through God's people then. After Jesus is gone and ascended into heaven. And so Acts is a beautiful um, picture of what the early church looked like and what Jesus wanted his bride to be. Warts and all. All, all the mess ups too of people, normal people like you and I but trusting in the Holy Spirit to be transformed and to bring restoration to the world through the power of Jesus. Uh, but book one is where we are now with Luke. And Luke is starting to talk about all the things that have started to happen among us, he says. 
So this morning, I get to look at the first four verses with you. It's an introduction to Luke. And when I saw that, and I go, okay, I get four verses. That should be easy enough. It's an intro. Uh, that's kind of boring. Like, what, are we, what can I really preach on, you know? Like, where's the meat in that? But I feel like we're, we're not really great at uh, the, the art and the beauty of conversation anymore and writing. We're like, there's not really intros a lot of times. We were talking about this yesterday with our, our surge table, that small talk is difficult for many people because you're like, hey, uh, so what did you do this morning? Oh, cool. Um, oh, this weather, huh? It's crazy. Um, hey, did you see the game? And like, that's it. Anthony joked about this a few weeks ago when he was teaching. Like, he's got three questions for small talk, and that's it. He's got nothing else, right? Um, but I've seen, I've witnessed people who are so gifted in communication that they use that small talk because it's important. You don't just go up to someone and be like, what's your deepest, darkest, darkest fear, Matt? Like, you don't start a conversation that way, right? Like, but I've seen people who are gifted in this uh, use small talk and use these questions, and they're, they're pointed with them, and they're purposeful with them, they're skilled with them, and they use them to guide you towards something that is actually worthwhile to have a conversation for. It's, it's meaningful. And I feel like a lot, of the, a lot of the writers in the scripture, they were way better with their words than we are, and they were very purposeful with them. And even these first four verses... Even this little introduction of Luke is very purposeful. Luke is doing something with it. And so it's my prayer that we would see what that is this morning. Uh, Like I said, our kids are going to be going through that. And just so you know, so you have a little snapshot. um, And if you don't have kids, like you can help us with this too, though, as you see these kids later. So you have a little snapshot of where we're going and where they're going. We bullet it down for them. Luke is a smart guy who has investigated these things he's heard about Jesus. Like God has given us brains so that we can investigate who he is. And so that's what our kids are learning this morning too, that they get to be cynics sometimes. They get to ask questions and investigate with their minds, with their senses, with their ears, their eyes, and look into, as Luke did, who Jesus is and these things that we're telling him. Listen to what Luke says. He says, he says, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about this already. But for some reason, Luke wanted to investigate it himself. He says, there were eyewitnesses, ministers of the word, but it seemed good to me also to follow all these things closely. It seemed good to him to also write down an orderly account. What we know is that Luke, the gospel of Luke, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke is one of the best at being, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Chronological. Comprehensive and chronological. It's orderly. This is the events and this is the order that they happened in. So he says, it seemed good to me too. Like other people have already written about this. Other people have seen it. Other people have told you about it. I followed closely too for myself. And I wanted to compile these things together. Why? He says... For his friend, most excellent Theophilus. That's a great title, by the way. If any of you want to start calling me almost excellent Chris, I'm not going to stop you, okay? Most excellent Theophilus, he, I'm writing to you so that you too may have certainty 
concerning the things you have been taught. You've been taught. His friend Theo has already learned some of this stuff. He's already heard of it. And yet, Luke goes even further and says, it's, it's right for me to put all this down in a really long book so that you can have an account. Why? He's, he's possibly already like raised his hand and like gone to the altar and said the prayer. I don't think that's really how they did it back then. But you get the idea. Like Theophilus has already been taught about Jesus. Why go further? Luke is understanding that there's, there's a reason, there's a reason that God has given us brains to comprehend things. That God has allowed us to investigate things. In fact, in Acts, I believe it's Acts 13, uh, no, it's Luke's, Acts 17, Luke is saying that about the Bereans, he's saying that they investigated the things that they heard for themselves to see if the scriptures were true. And he's commending them for that. Like, that's a good thing. A lot of times we talk about Christianity and Jesus as if it's this blind faith we're supposed to have. Like, just, just accept it for face value. And we, we look down on people like old Doubting Thomas, right? Who said, I'm not going to believe it until I see and I touch the holes in his hands myself that Jesus has risen. And I think that there is something to that for sure. But the thing with Thomas is he's hearing a firsthand account from people who just saw Jesus. And these are people who he spent his life with. And so his doubt goes much deeper than just saying, let me investigate for myself. And even still, Jesus is gracious enough to show up and to let him touch, to let him see, to let him investigate. And it's not that he comes down on him for that, but he does say, you know what? Even more blessed are those who will believe without seeing. But Luke says, I, I want to make sure you believe. So I'm giving you this account. The book of Luke is actually the longest in words of the gospel accounts. Uh, between Luke and Acts, Luke authors about a third of the New Testament. We give a lot of credit to Paul as being one of the main writers of the New Testament. It's because he wrote a lot of letters. Um, but Luke actually wrote the majority of the New Testament when you break it down by authors. And so it's worth listening to what this guy has to say. But not only that, Luke himself was not one of the original disciples of Jesus. He was not one of the original 12. He was not in that inner circle. He was not even a Jewish man. Luke was a Greek man that many people think was a doctor. Uh, that's because that's how, that's how Paul refers to him in Colossians, a physician, a doctor of some sort. He's a smart guy, a man of Greek thought, which Greek thought, uh, if, you, if you don't know, Jewish culture was very oral, very narrative, very story-driven, and Greek thought at that time was starting to question a lot of things and become a lot more philosophical and a lot more uh, based on evidence and things like that. So Luke's an educated person, a smart man. In fact, it's been said that the original Greek writing of Luke is one of the most eloquent, most beautifully pieces of Greek literature of all time. This is a smart guy. And he's listening to a bunch of young fishermen, uneducated Jewish people 
telling him this crazy story that a man came into the world who was poor, who healed people and raised people from the dead, who was murdered for no good reason and then came back to life. Why would this Greek-educated doctor believe these young, poor, uneducated fishermen with a crazy claim like that? Two of the things that I want to talk about with Luke this morning as we look at that introduction, two things that this introduction shows us is one, one, we can investigate the claims of Jesus and they are in fact believable. And two, it matters. It changes everything about our world. And so let's, let's dig into that a little bit. I told you a little bit about Luke's credentials, about who he is. But this is what he says. He says, there's already been stories written about this. This is one of the later accounts of the Gospels that we have written down. Uh, Mark, we believe for sure, was written already at this time. This is written around 60 AD. That means after the death of Jesus. So time has passed, but not enough time where everyone who was there and saw it is gone. So Luke was able to have interactions with people who actually came face to face and had an an encounter with Jesus. And so he talks about these eyewitnesses, these eyewitnesses of this oral culture who went around telling about the things that Jesus had done. And not only the eyewitnesses, but he calls them ministers of the word. Another translation for that is servants of the word. And what that meant was there were certain people at the time who what their job was was to get down every detail of something that had happened or that had been said, something that took place, and to make sure that they passed that on precisely. Okay, so especially in an oral culture, in a highly illiterate culture, where you didn't write things down, you didn't have a whole lot of written history, historians had to do a lot of work to make sure they were teaching these stories well. And so what they would do is they would teach them to people, but also they would make a really high emphasis on teaching them to their children. Not just their own children, but the children of their community. They would make sure that they told these stories over and over and over again. So that those stories could then be passed on to the next generation, and they would tell it to their children. In fact, that's a command God gives in the Old Testament. Pass this on from one generation to the next. A while back, I was doing a project with my sons where I was trying to teach them some of the parables of Jesus, and some of you have seen these. We, I had them draw pictures of the story, and I had them retell the story and narrate it, and then I would animate their illustrations and make a little video out of it. So the process of that was this. I would tell them the story one night before bed, then I would tell them the story the next night before bed, and I would do this for a number of days in a row, and then I would ask them, tell the story back to me now. So then they would start telling me the story and I would correct them where they were getting it wrong. Not, not if they said like one word off, right? Because there was a lot of that. But if they were getting the intent of the story, the meaning of the story, the purpose of the story, the flow of the story and where that narrative was going, I, I would gently correct them and go, remember, this is why Jesus said this. And then I would do that until they had the story down. 
Then they would draw pictures about it. We would talk about how the pictures told the story. And then I would record them telling the story to me one more time. And so by the end of it, the end result was they didn't tell it exactly how I told it necessarily, but they had the heart of that story down. And so the way my, at the time, six-year-old would tell the parable of the buried treasure was maybe different words than I would use to tell the parable of the buried treasure. Different words than were written down in here about that parable, but the story was still the story. Does that make sense? And that's why sometimes we can look at these different gospel accounts and we can go, hold on, wait a second. That doesn't say exactly the same thing as John says over here and Mark says this. But they were servants of the word. They still had this obligation and this mission to take down the essence of what Jesus had done and said and be able to narrate that to other people, to speak it over and over and over again until it was inside of people. It was burned in their brains and it was held in the, deeply in their hearts. But some of them also started to write it down or they had most likely squires that would write it down for them. And so then you get these written accounts too. Now Luke's going through, he's got these written accounts, he's talking, he's interviewing eyewitnesses. Luke's is the only account that goes all the way back to some of the stuff that happened with Mary even before Jesus is born. And so likely he could have even gone to Jesus' family, maybe even Mary herself, and interviewed them. We don't know. We know that he spoke with many eyewitnesses though. We know that he spent a lot of time with Paul, the apostle. Here's this guy, Paul, who is a renowned and respected leader in the Jewish community. Luke, a respected, educated man in the Greek community. Paul, a respected leader in the Jewish community. Paul saying, these people are going around claiming that this man, Jesus, is the son of God and that he is the king. We got to put an end to this. They're blaspheming God. And he goes out on this crusade against Christians, against people following Jesus. And all of a sudden, he ends up doing a complete 180 in his mission and starts saying, no, 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 I was wrong. This Jesus is real. This Jesus really is, not just a poor man from Nazareth, but really truly is God in the flesh who has come to set all things right. And he is worthy of our worship. And so Luke's probably seeing this going, okay, I got to know more. I got to know what would cause this man to change so drastically. And throughout Acts, we see that Luke spends a lot of time with Paul, travels with him all over. Probably got a lot of what he wrote in Luke from his time with Paul. We, we see this in Colossians 4. Paul talks about Luke. We see it in 2 Timothy. We see it in the book of Philemon that Luke was a faithful friend and a faithful minister of the gospel. In fact, there's a, a man named Demas in Colossians 4 mentioned with Luke as well as many other people that they were there with Paul. And unfortunately, we get in 2 Timothy the sad news that Demas and other people had turned away. It says they fell in love with the world and they left Paul. But Luke alone, he said, Luke alone stayed with me. So Luke's a smart man, and he's a faithful man. Why does this matter? Why is that important? Why, why should we hear his words? 
Again, this is a long book he compiled here. Gavin, you want to say why? Because he loves people? Yeah. I think you're onto something, dude. I think so. This is a long book. It took a lot of work for Luke to write. And he wrote it to a guy, a friend named Theophilus. Who would put that much work into writing something for one person? Right? It's because he loved him. He wanted him to know. Acts is a long book. He wrote it to the same guy. I love this guy. He's my friend. I want him to know what is true. I want to be sure of it. So that most excellent Theophilus would know. By the way, we think that Theophilus might have been a Roman official. Because that, that phrasing, most excellent Theophilus, Luke uses it three other times in Acts about other people, and every one of them were Roman officials. And so it's possibly not just like a, a way you would greet a friend that you really like. What's up, most excellent Wade? That's what I call him all the time. But it's most likely a title to an officer of some sort, a Roman official. So here's this Greek scholar listening to a bunch of Jewish fishermen and telling it to a Roman official. What he's saying and what we're getting in the beginning of Luke here is that this guy, Jesus, is doing something that impacts the entire world greatly. This is something that goes beyond just the God of Israel alone. Maybe the God of Israel has something to say to the nations. This is something that impacts everybody, all of us. See, this, this intro is important. I don't know... I, I don't intro things that I say often, uh, especially because we're in a culture now where it's like, it's texts and tweets all the time, right? So like, have any of you ever texted somebody something like really important or something you're really excited about? You're like, hey, blah, 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 blah. And then their response is, who this? Have you guys ever gotten that before? I'm like, bro, you deleted my number out of your phone? Come on. You know who this is. I got like this long history of texts between us. Who is this? What? But, you know, without that context of who I am and of, of what's going on, just getting straight to the point, he, that person would miss a lot of that message, right? Like, oh, that's great, but who is this? Because then now that matters. Like, now I care more if this happened to you. And so th this intro matters who Luke is, who Theophilus is, who Luke is hearing these things from. It has a deeper meaning, and without ever looking into that, you could just read this and go, like, this is some old dead person who hung out with Jesus, and he's writing about it. Cool. And maybe there's some things in here I can take and apply to my life so that I can have a better life or so that God will love me more, right? And that's the way I grew up reading all of Scripture. But the, the context, the content, the characters, all those things have deep implications. They matter. So this guy, Luke, Greek, smart man, talking to a, possibly a Roman official about news he heard from a bunch of poor Jewish people. Point one, 
He's saying, you can investigate this too. You've heard it. You've been taught it. I want you to know it for sure. I want you to be certain of it. I want you to use your brains and investigate the things you've heard. But I also want you to hear it. Hear from these eyewitnesses I've spoken with. Hear from these accounts that I've read. I've followed this closely. I have poured my life into this. You can trust me. But the second thing is this, is he says, this really matters. Theo, this is important. He says, listen, this is a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. These aren't just things that happen to the Jewish people. I don't want you just to study their culture because they live among us and to understand them better. This happened among us too, Theophilus. This impacts us greatly. And if you remember, as I said, we were looking at Ecclesiastes and trying to make sense of a broken world, trying to make sense of why why even the scriptures say to be wise and to pursue God and to do these things and make good choices. And then at the end of it, we all just die, so what's the point? That's kind of what the preacher was saying through Ecclesiastes, right? And what we get in this story as we'll unfold it going forward is that all of that is being changed now. Jesus comes, and he doesn't just come to save souls. He doesn't just come so that you could pray a prayer and you can get out of hell. He doesn't just come so that one day, one day, you could float up into the clouds and meet God. That's not the point of this story. That's not why Luke spent years and years and years compiling this narrative. That's not why Luke is painstakingly doing the work of a historian so that Theophilus can know. And thank God he did this work for Theophilus because the Holy Spirit has used it for millions of us going forward. It's kind of like our, our podcast we post. Like, I don't, you guys in this room are hearing this right now, but literally three other people are going to hear it too. Hi, Mom. Like other people are going to, we, we do this for our Missio family to shape us and equip us and form us. Uh, and then some other people will hear it too. In fact, we were supposed to give a shout out, right? So we have the, the Mirheads and the Lamkas, Mirheads in India, Lamkas, South America. And Crystal said she was going to yell for the Lamkas to hear enough, yell loud enough through my mic. We'll pretend that, yeah, she did it, guys. You just didn't hear it. There it is. Okay. So there's other people gleaning from it, too. And that's kind of what happens here. Luke loves this guy so much, and he loves what he's heard about Jesus so much. He's going to do all this work for Theophilus to hear. But it matters still today, in 2018, Christmas season, for you and for me. And this is why it matters. Every area of life is changed, transformed, implicated by what we're going to read in Luke. Every area. Physical, social, political, emotional, spiritual, economically. Every area of life has been transformed by Jesus breaking into this world. 
not just that we can be saved in our souls, not just that we can have our own individual relationship with Jesus, not just that we can have good quiet times that make us feel powerful for the rest of the day and we can face our Mondays, not just for us, church, to feel good about ourselves, but it changes everything. Let me ask you this, and I want you to think honestly to yourselves about this answer. If these events that happened among us, as Luke says, if the events we're going to hear about going forward this year of Jesus breaking into the world, being born miraculously by the Holy Spirit, living perfectly with no sin, loving people, healing people, bringing good news to the poor, dying a death he did not deserve, and then rising again from the grave victoriously in the power of the Spirit, and then sending that Spirit to dwell in us. If those things did not happen, what about your life would look differently? What would look different right now? Maybe you wouldn't be sitting here this morning, right? Like I'd have a little more time on Sunday mornings if this wasn't real. Or maybe you would because I still want to get together with community and friends and something for me to do or my kids to do. Would you still be working the same job you're working? Would you still be working it the same way you're working it? Would you be going to school for the same thing you're going to school for? Would you be raising your kids the same way you're raising your kids? Would you be exercising the same way you exercise and eating the same way you eat? Would you be voting the same way you're voting? Would you be interacting with the people you interact with the same way? Or maybe it would be different people altogether. I don't have to spend time with you now. All right? What would be different about your life if none of this was real, if we weren't certain about it the way Luke wants us to be. That was a hard question for me this week. I hope you're honest with yourselves too. Like if not much would be different, then do we really believe it to be true? Do we really have a certainty of it? And listen, I'm not saying that things need to be different. I'm not saying you need to be working a different job. God has come, Jesus has come to this world to impact all areas of life, including your workplace, your neighborhood, your school. How would you be engaging in those areas differently? Would it look the same? Sitting in the same office, the same eight hours a day, counting down the same time, collecting the same paycheck so that you can go to the same weekend, get the same projects done around the house and take your kids to the same sporting events so that you can get up Sunday morning, go to the same place and then do it all over again. Has, has that been what life has become about? And is that what Jesus came to introduce? Socially, Jesus came and transformed the way people interact with one another. Jesus came as a poor baby to a poor home, born in a, 
in a manger where animals lived, born to a young girl who was a virgin, not married, on the run from the rulers of the day, lived in a poor community, was raised by poor people, said himself when he was older, he didn't even have a place to rest his head. He came, Jesus could have come to anybody. He could have come to the religious leaders. He knew if he came to the the elites and the wealthy and the powerful, how difficult would it be for the poor and the oppressed to come to him? But if you go to the poor and the oppressed, the wealthy and powerful can come to you if they want. And when they do, they have to see, they have to come face to face with the oppression of their culture. Much of it that they've caused. To get to this guy, Jesus, they've heard so much about and go, what is going on here? He's exposing what's going on socially and he's changing it. The people that we go, man, they're really awkward to be around. I don't know if I want to spend time with them. Right? I'm really glad they left. Jesus was spending time with them more than anyone else. Politically, Jesus comes challenging the political leader of the entire world at the time. You say that you're Lord Caesar. No, I am Lord, and I have come with the kingdom of God. How does that change us politically today? I don't know. We're, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I know we don't like talking about politics. We've got mixed company, maybe. I hope we do, because that's a good thing. But listen, we got right now 7,000 people that are called asylum seekers that are in Tijuana with tents set up. I don't know what to do about it. I'm not saying I have the answer, but this is something that is deeply going to affect us, and it's deeply affecting them, and it's deeply affecting the country of Mexico. They've come from all over. 7,000 people, what do we do about that? And here's the question. If your answer to that is coming from the political radio stations you're listening to, if it's coming from the political party that you ascribe to, and it's not coming from these things that have happened among us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you may want to rethink that. That's all I'm saying. When we look at the scriptures we see that they can seem very conservative at times. But they can also seem very liberal at other times. There are things about our political system that have some creational goodness as we're all made in the image of God and then every single party has some destructive, terrible things and neither one can lay claim to the gospel. How are we making these decisions and how are we forming our views? If this had not happened with Jesus breaking into the world, would we look at that situation with asylum seekers the same way we do now? Let's examine ourselves. Physically, are you taking care of your body the way that you would if Jesus had never come? I know that sounds silly, it sounds trivial, especially if you grew up like I did in the church and you go, it doesn't matter because 
I'm going to die anyway, but my spirit will live on and I will live eternally and I'll get a new body and I'll probably look like amazing, you know. I'm going to have abs of steel. No, Jesus, we're going to find out, was born in the flesh, died in the flesh, and then what? Resurrected in the flesh. He still lives in that body today. And he's called the first fruits of the resurrection, which, which means if you are in Christ, then you too will be resurrected, renewed in your body. How are you being a foretaste of that? How are you showing yourself that God cares about all of his creation? And how are you displaying that to other people? How are we taking care of the, the planet, the world around us, our environment that God has made? He made to be good and he loves dearly. And he has called us to be stewards of, to have dominion over, but to care for. Would you be doing it differently if Jesus never came? Or would it look the same as it does right now? If it looks the same as it does right now, you might want to start doing things differently. Emotionally, Jesus sat with the people who were broken down and out. He listened to them. He asked questions. And he spoke truth to them in a way that was good news. Jesus has come not just to heal our physical bodies so that we will, we will escape death one day. He's come for your body, mind, heart, and soul. He sends the spirit, the comforter, to sit with us in our affliction. So how do we, how do we speak good news to one another when we're facing a trial of life? When someone just lost their job, do we go, don't worry, another good job is going to come around the corner? Or are we pointing them to these things that have happened among us in Jesus? Are we pointing them to a deeper, greater hope? As I said, this Advent season, we're looking at the hope, the peace, the joy, the love that we have in Christ. And in all of these areas that I just mentioned, in all facets of life, of our world, the physical, the social, the political, the economical, the spiritual, in all of these areas, Jesus came bringing hope. Jesus gives us a hope for these things, that they will be made right. That the preacher of Ecclesiastes can only look at it and go, I don't understand it. We're all going to die anyway. What's the point? And Jesus comes in and goes, no, there is hope. And we see in the book of Luke that the hope is an eternal hope that is found in Jesus alone because he is coming back one day. But we also see in, book second, in Luke's second book, in the book of Acts, that he chooses to start displaying some of that hope even through us, his people. Empowered by his Holy Spirit to live out the things he's called us to. We get to be a picture of that hope here and now, you guys. How would you be celebrating this Christmas season if Jesus hadn't come and these things hadn't happened? How are you pointing yourself and your family to this hope? You got all the, the hustle and bustle of the season going on. You got a 
go to these parties and you got to buy these presents and decorate these things and all this stuff you got to do. And how are you going to afford it all, right? May we take some time this season to take a step back from that, from the narrative of our culture and look at the narrative of these things that have happened among us through Jesus. And in his power, tell of the hope that we have in Jesus being born, living, dying, and coming back again. Because that's the story that we live in. Would you pray with me that we would be that people? God, we thank you that these things have happened among us. We thank you that you have not just left us to be on our own, but that Jesus, you did break into this world. Your creation, your world that you love, and you have come to set it all right again. And we hope for that day. We long for that day. We know it is coming because you are good and your promises are true. But we also know that you've called us to point to that hope in the meantime. To display glimpses of it to the world around us. To do that together as a body, as brothers and sisters, as children of you, as followers of Jesus, as ones empowered by your spirit. And we desperately need your help to do that. And so God, would you, even now, even now, turn our hearts away from the, the narrative of the world, the lies of our culture. Turn our hearts back to you to live more faithfully in your story. That as we go through this month of December, the thing that we are longing for and hoping for the most is not, is not which family we'll get to spend time with, though that is good. It's not the, the treats that we'll be enjoying and the, the meals that will be had, though those are good. It's not the presents that we'll be able to give or receive. Those are good. But the thing that we are looking to, that we are fixing our eyes on, that we are hoping for most, is the coming, the advent, the arrival of our King, Jesus who brings his kingdom in the fullness to completely restore all things socially, politically, economically, spiritually, physically. We long for this, so we ask that we would be a display of it even in the midst of a broken world. In Jesus' name, amen.